0: This episode of Takeaway is brought to you in part by California Food Service Instant Rebates. You could save up to $4,000 per unit on high-efficiency commercial food service equipment. In this time of need, the industry is building new restaurants and creating new concepts, and it needs equipment. You'll be able to choose from a variety of qualifying products and get valuable instant rebates as a discount on your invoice. No paperwork, no waiting. Find a participating dealer in qualifying products at caenergywise.com slash instant rebates. That's caenergywise.com forward slash instant dash rebates.
1: Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nation's Restaurant News I am Sam Okus, editor in chief at Nations Restaurant News, and this is the show where I give you an all access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week I'm talking with David Ronsley. He is the president and CFO of Robex, a Southern California based smoothie, juice, and bowls concept that's grown to nearly 100 locations in its 25 plus years. David has a fascinating perspective of not only being the president of this company, but also a franchisee. And we talked about how that perspective has really helped him to lead the brand forward and make the right decisions for both the corporate team and the franchise base. Before I jump into that conversation, remember that there are many other ways you can engage with NRN's award-winning content. Not only can you subscribe to our monthly print edition and daily AM newsletter at nrn.com/slash subscribe. But you can also subscribe to NRN's other podcast, Extra Serving, where our editors discuss the hot button issues of the day and we share interviews with a wide variety of restaurant personalities. That recently included several episodes from the NRA show, the largest annual gathering of restaurant professionals in the U.S. We were in Chicago for five days, if you can't tell from my voice. We have already posted several of those conversations, including one with celebrity chef Andrew Zimmern. So be sure to check those out over on Extra Serving and subscribe for more. If you want to check out even more of our NRA show coverage, including exclusive videos with industry insiders, you can catch it all at create.nrn.com slash nra show insider. That's create.nrn.com slash nra-show-insider. We've posted several of our video conversations there already, and we have many, many more to come that you do not want to miss. Jumping now into my interview with Robex president and CFO, David Ronsley. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my five takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the
0: go. David Ronsley, the president and CFO of Robex. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, David, start by telling us about the brand. For those who are not familiar with Robex, what's the story of this brand?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Sam. So uh, Robex has been, was founded in L.A. Uh, just over 25 years ago uh, by our founder, David Robertson, who still is active on the board and chairs our board. Uh, and we are in the um, health and wellness space, our primary Products are smoothies, fresh juices, acai bowls, uh, and we ha- now have a new line of avocado toast. Uh, okay. We uh, have about, uh, are quickly approaching 100 stores uh, across the country. We have a, sort of a diverse footprint with concentration of stores in the LA area, uh, Ohio, DC, Connecticut, Florida, and Arizona, and then a few okay. uh, other units across the country.
0: And tell me, what, what year was this brand founded?
2: 1996 uh okay in westchester california which is right near lax airport
0: I, and i think that's i think it's noteworthy just because i feel like the sort of smoothie uh juice acai bowl trend has some, been something that took off last six or seven years but robex has really kind of been at this since a, before a lot of the competitors
2: yeah for quite some time and actually uh I got involved with the brand over over a decade ago, and one of the things that attracted me to this segment was that it had been around for a while, so it clearly was not going to be a flash in the pan. Uh, Health and wellness is a great category, and it's a category Mm -hmm. that's going to have legs uh, now and well into the future.
0: Yeah, for sure. So one thing I think is so fascinating about you, as you mentioned, you got involved with this brand over a decade ago. You initially got involved as a franchisee before coming into the concept as president. Tell, tell me first about that journey as a franchisee, why you signed on for this brand as a franchisee and what your experience as a franchisee was like.
2: Yeah, so um, I have always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and was working in accounting and financing, uh, finance and my wife and I started a family and thought, well, if I'm ever going to be in business for myself now is the time. So, uh, I quit my job and spent a number of months looking at all sorts of different business opportunities, uh, with the goal of being a business owner, um, not necessarily focused on franchising, but franchising attracted me. You've got a great support system. Uh, it's a proven business model uh and generally a track record of success so it reduces risk at the time robex had a development model i felt that development fit my skill set a little bit better uh, than an operator Uh, so i Mm -hmm. signed on to help develop units and then in very short order realized that um, our stores were extremely simple to operate so i became a franchisee myself at that time Um, Mm -hmm. i still currently own two units that my wife operates um, and one of the benefits of being a franchisee before being in the, on the corporate leadership team is to give me another lens to focus through so that decisions that are made, um, in the, at the corporate and the support center level, um, always impact things at the store level in ways that are not often difficult or easy to see. But having been right. in that position, uh, gives me a lens by which to focus on those, those impacts. Um, right. My wife operates our two stores today. I'm still a franchisee, although my time is spent, you know, full-time best efforts on my corporate role. Uh, but I do get, uh, I'll, I'll say she helps me keep that lens very focused, put it that way.
0: It really, really changes the definition of the franchisee-franchisor relationship, right? When you're married <laughs> to one of them.
2: <laughs> yes,
0: good point. Yeah. Tell me about the transition into being president. You must have been an extremely successful franchisee if you did then become a part of the corporate team. What was that transition like?
2: Yeah, it was actually my finance background that brought me into the the, um, the support center. Uh, our longtime uh, CFO uh, announced his resignation. And so I approached the CEO at the time and said, hey, I'd like to discuss my a financial background with you. I obviously know our business from soup to nuts, both as an operator and a developer. And if there's no conflict of interest, I'd like to apply for that position. So he said no conflict at all, as long as you devote full time, best efforts to your corporate responsibilities. And so I came on as CFO and then he moved on about a year later. And at that point, the board um, also made me president.
0: That's a, a very unique perspective to have to be president of a brand, to be franchisee technically of the brand. But I mean, to your earlier point, an incredible position for you to be in because you do have both perspectives be, be able to bring into this role. Tell me about some of, these, some of the ways and maybe specifically that you have, as a franchisee, learned certain things that you've brought into your role as president.
2: Well, I, I think the, the most important thing I learned is that there really needs to be a connection between the leadership team and the franchisees in the field. Um, I think there was a bit of a perception that the support center was somewhat disconnected from the day-to-day life of a franchisee. Um, Mm -hmm. And whether that perspective um, was legitimate or not, I don't know. But sometimes if you're a franchisee, perception is reality. So the first thing I wanted to do was to let our franchisees know that they were going to see the leadership team in the field more often, interacting with them and understanding uh, what a day in the life of a franchisee was like. Uh, it gives Mm -hmm. a great deal of insight into the challenges that they face. And also, um, some of the, the, um, the benefits of being a franchisee that maybe some other Mm -hmm. leadership team members were not, uh, aware of.
0: What about conflict resolution? I mean, do you, do you have much conflict with franchisees and how would you approach that in your unique position? How can you make sure that both parties are happy if conflict arises?
2: Yeah, well, to to take a step back, um, you know, as I was driving into the office, uh, my first day as as president, uh, and if you had some time to think and if you're commuting on the L.A. freeways, you've always got time to think. And one of the (laughs) things that crossed my mind is I really wanted to define my leadership style, which was uh, to lead by influence rather than command and control. Um, Mm. And so if there's a new initiative or a conflict um, that needs to be resolved, The first thing to do is to get everybody together, understand, um, you know, what the issues are uh, and why the Robex way, so to speak, is the best way, not only for the system, but for that particular franchisee. Um, Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, that will resolve the conflict.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So. Here we are in mid-2022, a couple years of real uh, turmoil that that we've all been through. And, you know, not to get too much into specifics on how Robex did through the pandemic, tell me where it stands today. How how, how was it really refined by the last couple of years worth of challenges?
2: Yeah, well, we're stronger uh, than ever, actually. I mean, we made uh, a number of changes um, leading up to the pandemic, which sort of coincide with my... Uh, arrival which was a decision to evolve the brand uh we, you know we were 20 plus years old and and we had a great product and a great uh brand loyalty but had not really evolved so we made a, a lot of strategic uh changes uh within the store and started to see some significant improvements in in sales and then the pandemic hit and which was clearly tragic and, and remains tragic, and everybody's anxious to leave it behind. Um, but what it did for the consumer and for the brand was put a focus on health and wellness, portability, um, and um, you know the ability to, to come in, grab your drink, and head on out. Um, and so leading the success leading up to the um, pandemic along with some of, of what evolved from it was, the situation where sort of our strategy uh, met opportunity and so as a result of that um, our average unit volumes are higher than they've ever been um mm-hmm. up 30 38 uh last year um our top 25 percent are north of a million dollars which is um very significant for our for our segment
0: right uh you know i've, I've been we're, we're getting ready to release our top 500 report so i've had a really close look at the sales numbers from 2021 of the top 500 brands in the U S and one thing that really leaps off the page is how much average unit volume has been increasing at so many restaurants. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, 2021, you could expect that there would be sales growth over 2020 over 2020 because 2020 was so right. bad. So you could expect sales growth, but when you have average unit growth really outpacing unit growth to me, I just see that, And a lot of people have been saying a lot of brands have been reporting that they're over up over 2019 not just 2020. so what we've also seen in the last couple of years though has been much more efficient operations right i mean you've seen a lot more digital tools technology that has been introduced in the last couple of years that to me would make things much more efficient so does that track with you that it feels like a lot of what's come out in the last couple of years has allowed for getting more money out of your footprint because of the efficiency of things uh,
2: absolutely I, I think uh, especially in the digital space um, I, I our belief is that those digital sales are incremental, and if you want to grow your business, it's got to be through incremental sales, not a trade off yeah. from you know introducing a new a new smoothie and so someone trades from one smoothie to the other. Um, right. And so being in the digital space allows you to reach customers where they are, um, which was obviously much more difficult before the pandemic uh, because digital was less prevalent. Um, and it actually introduced our brand um, to, to people who had not really known about us. Um, mm-hmm. In addition, the change in their behavior and where they uh, work, uh, which is now much tied much more closely to where they live as a lot of people are working close to home. Um, mm-hmm. And in the early days of the pandemic, uh, everybody was tied up and cooped up and they would get out and drive around and probably look at things in a new way um, and recognize uh, brands that they had not tried before. And so when you get trial and you're offering a great product uh, like we do, then that, that grows your sales.
0: Right. All right. We have to talk about supply chain because this has been inflation, supply chain kind of, you know, kind of lumping these two things together because they're um, in many ways so connected. I'm curious for a concept that is so reliant on fresh foods. What What's it been like for you guys? How have you dealt with so much of the supply chain hiccups that have been going on and then the um, correlating inflation?
2: Sure. With regards to um, supply chain, we've been able to navigate that quite well. We have not had any real significant outages, maybe fr- on a region by region basis for a very short period of time. Um, and with regards to inflation, you know, if there is a silver lining, it's that everybody and every concept is dealing with the same thing. So um, we can take a little bit of price increase to offset, um, you know, the ingredient cost, but mm-hmm. so is everybody else in the industry, in the segment, or the uh, food industry, and so. Um, You know, a smoothie or a juice or a bowl or an avocado toast relative to what somebody is now paying for, you know, a combo meal of some sort, you know, hamburger French fries is still relatively inexpensive. Uh, And actually, I think there's some benefit to our brand in that a smoothie can be a fantastic meal replacement and it's significantly less expensive than, you know, a full service meal.
0: Right. Yeah. You mentioned, so you're, you're primarily based there in California. You mentioned you have a presence in Ohio. I just moved to Ohio. I'm originally from Ohio and I can tell you Ohio and California are different worlds, right? I mean, when it comes to the consumer and what they're willing to pay. So how do you, what's, what's the difference between, is there a difference I guess, between your stores in certain locations or how do you make sure you're selling an avocado toast for a certain price to Californians who are used to paying that for an avocado toast and then make sure it's not like sticker shock in Ohio.
2: Right. Uh, well, the franchisees are free to set their own prices, and we encourage them within a particular region to be pretty much on the same price. They, there may be variances, plus or minus, you know, dimes and nickels, things of that that sort. Um, and we test. So, for example, the avocado toast uh, is we tested not only in California, but in Ohio and every major market that we were in. We conducted surveys during the test period, certainly ask about value, um, and it's actually priced quite reasonable. It rolled out at 699, which was something that was palatable no matter where you were uh, in yep. the country.
0: I was gonna say, I, I just thinking about like, I wouldn't bat an eye if I was in Los Angeles to paying $15 for avocado toast. Like, seems like that's probably more of a price point that a lot of folks are used to paying out there.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a great value in California. Uh, maybe not so much as a good value, um, uh, relative to other things in, in, in different markets. Uh, mm-hmm. but we put a lot of time and effort into, into that toast and we're very, was very strategic about it. Um, mm-hmm. and value was definitely something that we focused on. Um, as a matter of fact, I, you know, I mentioned earlier about incremental sales are the way to drive you know, unit economics. Um, Mm -hmm. And a food program has been on our strategic uh, roadmap for a number of years. However, uh, you know, we're not going to venture off into the cafe arena. Um, One of the primary um, benefits of uh, operating a Robex is the ease of operation. Um, Mm -hmm. We didn't want to become a cafe. We also didn't want to open anything, you know, out of some cellophane and put it in an auto sham. That's not Consistent with our brand, so we define the the scope of the project as something that was simple and complementary. And mm-hmm. avocado toast really fit that bill. It's made to order. We sourced a um, proprietary three-quarter-inch thick piece of sourdough, um, put you know fresh avocado on it, a lot of other toppings, and it really is a fantastic mm-hmm. product. And it's resonate with our resonating with our guests um, across the country. You you know not only is there a consideration about price, but there's a consideration of how a particular product is going to resonate. And as a percent of mixed avocado toast is pretty um, consistent across the country. There's a a great deal of awareness about it, but it's certainly not saturated. As a matter of fact, I think we're the only ones in our category who are offering it. Mm. Um, And so far it's done well. And the the platform itself is something that we can grow on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, our goal is ten percent of mix, and right now we're at eight and a half after about uh, ten months of, of, it being out in the world. So,
0: to that to the point about not wanting to become a cafe, I, I know so much of Robex is really based on your takeout, your off premises sales, mm-hmm. and I'm just curious. You know, again going back to some of the digital changes that you've made and really getting the most out of each footprint how much in the last couple of years has your impression changed of what a robex can be what a what a robex footprint can look like because if you are primarily sticking to takeout and off premises could you continue to shrink that footprint could you put yourself into the ghost kitchens and all of these other sort of new ideas of real estate that open up maybe new doors for the brand going forward
2: yeah great question it was it was interesting to see um the, the 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 growth at our busiest stores um is actually they're actually seeing uh, the largest growth within the system so you've got a you know a store in a small footprint 1000 to 1200 square feet that was already doing fantastic numbers by our standards and then to see it grow 30 to 40% and still be able to have that throughput in that footprint Uh, was very encouraging to see. As a matter of fact, the second busiest store in our system operates in 780 square feet. Um, I probably can't share the number with you, but um, it's a significant number per square foot. Um, And Mm -hmm. digital has really um, allowed, you know, made that easier to facilitate. Uh, And, you know, as we look forward, we'll continue to look for additional digital sales channels. Um, It'll help Mm -hmm. us meet customers where they are, um, and it does create a considerable amount of efficiency. Um, you know, you eliminate the cashiering aspect of the transaction. But fortunately, we, you know, we still get the opportunity at handoff to make that personal touch with our customers because the guest experience is, you know, never something that's going to go away. And it's something we want to focus on. So when we do have the opportunity, mm-hmm. it's really a focus for us.
0: All right, so we covered supply chain, um, and it seems like you know supply chain inflation not not too much of a, a challenge for you. What is what what's what's the thing keeping you up at night? Is it labor? Is is are, there's so many things I feel like kind of bearing down on the restaurant industry today. What's the thing that gives you the most challenge today? Uh,
2: I, I would say our biggest challenge is real estate. Um, finding the right real estate to grow. I mean, it is, there's, there's two variables in a franchise system. There's the operator and and then there's the location. Um, and so it's, you know, of the utmost importance, um, you had mentioned that average unit volumes are growing, um, in the restaurant business, um, across the board and that drives demand for real estate. So that is really probably, um, the single factor that could, could slow our, slow our growth. Um. But fortunately, you know, based on our current economic model, it's very attractive, um, not only to sort of our traditional franchisee, um, which is an entrepreneur, maybe opening a business for the first time. But it's now very attractive to um, sort of multi-unit operators who have, um, you know, much more infrastructure to support growth, Um mm-hmm. And given that our unit economics uh, support that and we see a lot of that on the horizon, it's enabled us to bring on a a new uh, chief development officer, a gentleman by the name of Todd Peterson, who's got a pretty lengthy experience um, in development within the restaurant space and has come from a much, much larger uh, brand for us. And so uh, I wouldn't say real estate was keeping me up at night. But development is certainly the opportunity for us, and it's what I focus most on. And so being able to attract and retain someone like Todd has been, been great. So I sleep a little easier with him on board, even though it's been <laughs> two weeks.
0: No. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious, like, from, from that real estate perspective, because I've heard this over and over, folks saying that real estate is a real struggle right now, which is, mm-hmm. in a way, kind of ironic, because two years ago, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were like, oh, all the real estate that's going to be available from this. So it's a good right. thing. It's a good thing, because not all the we didn't have all the closures we thought we were going to have. But again, going back to this idea that a restaurant doesn't have to be main and main anymore, right? I mean, you don't need those A plus locations because of digital tools. So h- how can you rethink that real estate strategy, considering the fact that where you put a restaurant maybe just doesn't seem to be as important as it used to be?
2: Yeah, well, I for us, it's still very important. I think it's sort of changed the what what we're looking for, given so many people are working from home and what um you know a, a more residential suburban area uh where people would leave during the day to be in the office or at school is now populated there's much more activity around these uh sort of daily need centers um and mm-hmm. so we've shifted our real estate focus to to look um you know in the, those areas um and maybe less in the more commercial commercial areas
0: got it all right, David, last question for you. Thinking ahead, what's what's next for Robex? What do you see coming down the pike in the coming months and years? What are you getting excited about?
2: Yeah, well, continue, continuing to uh, leverage the digital channel, like new digital channels, as I mentioned, you know, they're incremental sales for us. Um, it's an opportunity for us to meet customers um, where they are um, and make the transaction, you know, to use a cliche, you know, frictionless, they can have it. Have it delivered. So we'll continue to explore the, um, the digital space and we'll continue to evolve our brand. Um, nothing sort of um, revolutionary, but we'll keep an eye out for new product lines that um, consumers have an interest in. You know, historically, I think the smoothie segment was smoothies, then juices um, uh, became popular. They're a much larger percent of our mix than they used to be. Uh, acai bowls, uh, were something that were not very popular many years ago. They're a significant part of our mix. Avocado toast is now a significant part of our mix. So being in the health and wellness category, there will be another product to emerge. I wish I had a crystal ball. I don't, but <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we'll be an early adopter of whatever it is that emerges as long as it's within the health and wellness category. Um, and we'll continue mm-hmm. to, to, you know, uh, be close to our customers and, consumers and make adjustments to meet their their needs.
0: Yeah, well, it's exciting to watch and and good luck to you guys there at Robex. Uh, David Ronsley, the president and CFO of Robex. Thanks for joining me today.
2: Thank you, Sam. It was great to talk to you.
0: This episode of Takeaway is brought to you in part by California Food Service Instant Rebates. You can save up to $4,000 per unit on high-efficiency commercial food service equipment. In this time of need, the industry is building new restaurants and creating new concepts, and it needs equipment. You'll be able to choose from a variety of qualifying products and get valuable instant rebates as a discount on your invoice. No paperwork, no waiting. Find a participating dealer in qualifying products at caenergywise.com slash instant rebates. That's caenergywise.com forward slash instant dash rebates.
1: That was my interview with Robex President and CFO David Ronsley. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my five takeaways. My first takeaway is that decisions made at the corporate level have effects on franchisees that are not always easy to see. You often hear about this relationship between franchisee and franchisor and how at some companies it can get pretty tenuous it's not always uh, it's not always a healthy relationship when The so-called ivory tower is making decisions from on high that impact the livelihood and profitability of a restaurant, particularly if there is not a good connection between two sides. But David has that unique ability to know what franchisees need because he is one. He says in the conversation, he and his wife, who own two restaurants, they can focus on those things that are important at the store level, and it helps to be a filter through which he can make decisions at the corporate level, which is a unique position to have. Of course, not every executive is also going to be a franchisee, But if you don't have a situation like that, it is at least important for the franchisee and the franchisor to have a very strong connection and communication. My second takeaway is that franchisees' perception of their corporate team is often reality for better or worse. As David was mentioning, there was a time in the Robex system when there was at least a perception from franchisees that maybe corporate had become a little bit disconnected from the franchisees and their needs. And what David was able to do was come in and be able to repair that relationship. And as he mentioned, even though the corporate team didn't think that that disconnect was there, if the franchise th- franchisees think so, then it's probably the case. If they want more communication, it's important for the corporate team to provide that communication. I think it's so interesting how David said one of the things he did was to encourage leadership to get into the stores to be able to see for themselves at the store level what the needs are. Because that's such a great way to really level the field between the corporate team and the franchisees and to make sure everybody is on the same page. My third takeaway is this leading by influence rather than by command and control is generally more effective. That is a direct quote from David, by the way, on his leadership style, that bit about leading by influence rather than by command and control. This was a decision that he said he made early on on how he wanted his leadership style to be. And what that means is you have to demonstrate to your franchisees or stakeholders or whoever you're leading why the decisions you're making are the right move. David said his challenge in his position as president is to show the franchisee base why the, the, the decisions that have been made by himself and his colleagues in the corporate center, why they're deciding what they are and how they can make it work for everybody. And if you can use that influence and get everybody on that same page, you're going to have a lot easier time being able to institute changes and go all of, all of you in the same direction. My fourth takeaway is that the digital revolution allows for incremental sales that improve your unit economics. This might be kind of a no-brainer, but it's impressive when you look at some of the numbers. Robex, which went through the same kind of digital adaptation in the last couple of years that most other restaurant companies did, it's now been able to increase its average unit volumes to a place where over a quarter of its locations are doing over $1 million in sales. And that's because, as David explained, these new digital tools you have at your disposal, that tends to be incremental because you're now reaching a different kind of customer than was coming into your restaurants before. I'm sure you've already adapted to the digital world out there at your own restaurant. But if you haven't, just know these tools, they access a totally different customer base and, again, can be incremental to your sales. My fifth and final takeaway is that the increase in average unit volume is leading to the real estate squeeze. This isn't just happening at Robex, by the way. This is something I'm seeing all across the industry, which is that most restaurants, their sales are going up. Despite all of the headwinds, despite inflation, despite cost, sales are going up. And in fact, because of the digital tools that are now at everybody's disposal, the the average unit volume, the amount of business you can get through your restaurant has gone up by, you know, double digit percentage points in many cases, which is an incredible thing for restaurants. But of course, as your demand reaches toward the capacity at one location, it only makes sense for you to look for more real estate. And so now we're seeing as as many restaurants look for deals for new locations and are looking to sign leases for new locations, it Is becoming increasingly hard for restaurants to be able to expand as they want to. There's only so much real estate out there, and I'm hearing it from a lot of folks that the real estate issue has become a uh, a big challenge to growing business today. Uh, One that will probably sort itself out here with the current economic conditions we're in, but it's an interesting fact that is a balance of a good thing and a bad. The good thing that is AUVs are going up, the bad thing being that there's only so much you can do from here because everybody else seems to be enjoying that same circumstance and also wants to go sign those leases for that real estate. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.ocus at Thanks again and talk to you next week.